How you doing? I'm doing okay. Are you enjoying your isolation? Um, it's isolating. I mean, when, when you know, okay, you know that I'm used to traveling a lot. I know that. And, and, and when, the most, when the most exotic, when the most strange, when the, when the trip that I need to prepare for with masks and sprays and, and things, you know, this isn't traveling to the malaria-infested jungle somewhere. This is going to Costco. So this this is true. You know, I have to say that, uh, as you can tell, I'm uh, you know I've just parked myself outside in one of the hallways of the USS Discovery. Uh, so I've decided to just not even be on planet at this time and uh, and enjoy the view from space. It's it's nice up in space. It's cold. Yeah, well, the problem is, last time I closed my eyes, the last dream I can remember involves me smashing my phone into a million pieces. So. Thankfully, really? I up in that's, my a we- that's a weird, bloody dream. I can't really understand that one. Well, my problem is I don't usually remember my dreams. So it was really weird that this one I remember. And I remember waking up and there's my phone in one piece. <gasps> you know what? Just, just pop magnesium and zinc every night before you go to sleep and you'll have like, you know, vivid, crazy, nasty dreams, man. It'll be great fun. You'll remember a lot more of them. You'll be going like, holy wallow. You know, like, what's going on here? Little piece of advice, I'm, 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 you know, uh, just, just, just call me your pusher. <laughs> I, I'm sure there's many different kinds of substances I could take before bed. <laughs> you know, we should have a, we should do a podcast on substances. <laughs> well, my most exotic right now is orange spice tea that I had to bring in from the U.S. because Amazon won't ship it here. Oh, come on. Surely, surely you drink alcohol. Uh, I, no. No, really? I drink basically three times. Number one, on an airplane after the meal to help put me to sleep. Okay. Number two, occasionally for religious cultural reasons. Okay. And number three, maybe once or twice a year, I'll have a glass of something. I am not a drinker. I don't understand the appeal of alcohol. To me, beer tastes like wheat soda. You know, I I, I, I I get what you mean. I understand. I'm, I'm not a big drinker myself. At most, usually, it's a couple of glasses of wine a night, one with dinner, one after the kids go to bed. Uh, sometimes on the weekend, I'll have a liqueur or a single malt scotch or, uh, you know, occasionally something like an Irish whiskey, perhaps a little, uh, you know, uh, I mean, generally speaking, I'm not a guy who drinks, as you, as you understand. I just, at most, like I said, two glasses a night, except for on the weekends where I might push it to three. But, uh, and, and of course, and of course, I keep my caffeine intake low, three cups of coffee a day. And after that, after that, at most one more. So it's like three, maybe four. I'm cutting down because, you know, advanced age and all that stuff. Yeah, well, don't ask me about caffeine intake because I... I'm one of those that doesn't have a preference between coffee or tea. I have both in the course of a day. Okay. And, uh, you know, so my caffeine intake is probably pretty high. Uh, I brew my own iced tea, which is my household drink of choice. Right. Long Island iced tea? Sorry? Long Island iced tea. No, no. (laughs) But it has its own. I was just testing you. But it has its own story because I have a special tea that I use for my iced tea, which is called gunpowder. Oh, nice. Okay. That's got a great name. So gunpowder, gunpowder is a form of green tea that I pick up in the local Asian markets. And you open it up and it doesn't look like leaves. It looks like pellets. You know, you know what that is? That's heroin. That's, 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 why, that's why you can't get enough of that stuff. Well, they've got you hooked. I'm going to keep brewing it. <laughs> and I'm going to keep calling. I'm going to keep telling myself it's green tea. Uh, so so how, how are you keeping your hair short? Mine is, mine is, you know, I realize I don't have as much as I did when I was younger, but, uh, but it, it's getting, it's getting really long. Like, uh, are you cutting your own hair? Uh, no, but Lauren has known how to cut my hair for a long time. And for oh. a long time, she actually was doing it. Um, and as your wife think about this, we have the gear for it. We actually have the electric razors. I have this thing that, that fits around my head called a sombrero, which we use to catch the hair as it falls off. Nice. We actually had, uh, uh, we actually had, you know, this stuff going. And then after a while she said, 
screw it, I'm not doing this anymore, go outside, get your hair cut, which is fine until the lockdown happened and now she's back to doing it again. Right. So, okay. So you guys like were prepped for a pandemic. You guys have been working up to this for a long time. Well, this is hardly the cave with <laughs> rations in it, but <laughs> there, you know, there's, there, there's, there's certain primitive things you learn to rediscover. That's true. That's true. Like tonight I made grilled cheese sandwiches for supper. I've rediscovered those too. Yeah. Grilled cheese sandwiches are nice. You know, like they, they actually, it's, it's one of those things. It's one of those things that should not be as good as it is. Do you know what I mean? Because look what you're doing. You're taking like basically two pieces of white bread. Okay. And then you're putting like processed cheese freaking slices in the middle. That stuff that you tell yourself isn't real cheese. Okay. But you buy it because your kids, your kids eat it. Right. So you buy this processed cheese, you stick it in the middle, you do it in a pan with lots of butter and it's greasy and it's melty and it's yummy. It's like, it should not be this good. Yeah, but the thing is, if you think of those slices, they live to be put into into, into grilled <laughs> cheese sandwiches. They you know, having, having, having a slice of that whey powder infused with cheese flavor and having it raw is cruelty. It is, it is, it is, it is. Yeah, and you know what? You know what? And that's actually the reason that I drink wine. Having that <laughs> stuff sitting in the bottle with no one to drink it is cruelty. I'm just doing my part because I am a humanitarian. Now, when <laughs> we do grilled cheese slices, when yes. we do grilled cheese, we don't have industrial cheese in the house. I have the luxury of, I, you know, I, we don't drink, so we have the luxury of being able to picky, be picky about things like cheese. So generally speaking, there's only two or three kinds of cheese in the house, and they mostly come from that other side of the supermarket near the deli rather than where all the dairy products are. Right. And so, you know, you, know, you spend some time in Switzerland, and you get hooked on Gruyere. And so there's always, there's always Gruyere in the house, which is to me like the perfect cheese. Uh, and then the second, and this goes back to Lauren's upbringing, is we always have some really old British-style cheddar the really old sharp stuff that's almost crumbly that you can yep. barely cut. Yep. Now that stuff, when it's in a grilled cheese sandwich is absolutely magical, but that stuff isn't meant to be melted quite the no, same way. That stuff is meant to be, you know, it's meant to be enjoyed on its own without, you know, other crap. Oh. In the way. Well, now to be honest, Gruyere is also meant to be, is also meant to be melted without it you couldn't do fondue properly. that's true that's true oh well you can do chocolate fondue it doesn't have to it doesn't have to be cheese fondue you could do a chocolate fondue oh now now okay now you're going to sidetrack me because there was a restaurant well because we haven't been sidetracked yet there's there was a restaurant in geneva yes and it was a three-course all fondue restaurant mm. so the so the appetizer was having a cheese fondue with dipping bread in it. The main course had oil in the fondue and you dipped your meat in it and you know what the dessert was. Chocolate fondue? Exactly. There you go. And so and so you have this restaurant and it's complete with one of those big Ricola horns, Alpine horns in the corner that, that yep. everyone could yep. go up and in a very unsanitary <laughs> way. Yep, yep. And so it was an absolute tourist trap. And it's like anyone you want to bring to that part of Switzerland, you want them to try that at least once. Now, having said that, it was a tourist place. If you really wanted to go for a good, really, really good cheese fondue, there were little hole-in-the-wall restaurants where you would go for that. But the tourist experience of having a three-course fondue meal was something else you know what i let's 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 not let's not beat up on tourists i like being a tourist i've always enjoyed being a tourist did you ever read the books by the way by terry pratchett the color of money and uh or the color of magic not the color of money the color of magic no like it's it's the it's the very first of the uh of the disc world novels and one of the central characters in it aside from rinse wind who's a wizard uh not a very good wizard by the way he only knows one spell and he doesn't remember what it is. But beyond Rincewind, there's a guy who's a tourist and he's the world's, the disc world's first tourist. And there are a lot of tourist jokes there, but you know, he's, he's, he's a wonderful, lovable character. Um, 
So, you know, I, I, have a, I have a soft spot for tourists, certainly ever since uh, the uh, Terry Pratchett books. Oh, I don't mind being a tourist. As long as when you're going somewhere, you know you're being a tourist and you know you're not getting the real... Well, but you know what? Going to a restaurant, by and large, okay, is, is like restaurants are show business. A lot of people don't even don't think about it that way. Well, I'm going to a restaurant, you know, I'm supporting local businesses. That nah, crap, crap, crap. You go to a restaurant because it's show business. They put on a show for you. Somebody comes up and says, Monsieur, what would you like for dinner tonight? We, tonight the dinner will be served with this and this kind of sauce and all these other sorts of things. No, that's that, that's that. No, that's not totally fair. I mean, there's a difference between the restaurant where you go to if you've never been in a city before and you want to sample it, and the restaurant where you've lived there forever. And you just want a version of it that's really, really good. And so when it came to fondue, there were the places where you'd take somebody if it was their first time in the city. And there were places where you'd go with somebody in, in like in a cave somewhere, a nondescript or whatever, yeah. if you really wanted the best of breed. And even and, and anywhere, there's the places the locals eat that aren't necessarily the best places to take tourists. You come to Toronto, you take somebody to the CN Tower, you take somebody to, to, you know, one of the restaurants that's a full, you know, experience, because if they're going to have to pack the city into two weeks, you want to make it as full an experience as possible. And if somebody's already living here, they don't need that. So they can concentrate on other things. Uh, you know, I, I, th I think that the experience of, of dining out is something in and of itself. And of course, it's something that we're not getting an awful lot of right now, because we're all in, we're all in, you know, we're all staying away from each other. Oh, by the way, just out of curiosity, like, are, 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 are you missing doing all this stuff in any big way? Or have you, like many people that I know, started experimenting with cooking? I mean, going back out and going, okay. For, for some strange reason, people are baking, despite the fact that there are lots of cookies and lots of cakes and lots of bread that you can get. I mean, you just, hell, I can pick up the phone and have a grocery order delivered tomorrow with all of those things. And yet people are baking up a freaking storm out there. I think there's, I think there's a, uh, you know, a, a primal, uh, you know, attraction to cooking your own stuff and the smell coming out of your oven and so forth. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's also a, a comfortable homey feeling, you know, this idea of baking. Are you doing any of that or? Well, I tend to cook for myself a lot. And so even through the course, through the course of the week, I cook for myself a lot. Uh, I, I, I like my own cooking. And so to me, restaurants or takeouts or whatever are the occasional treat. Uh, I must admit though, uh, we have had more takeout pizza in the last month than we've probably had in the three years previous. You know what's weird? We haven't done we haven't done any takeout, not since this whole thing started. Nothing. Well, the thing is, if you, the the best you're going to get with a restaurant experience is is essentially delivery. Number yeah, one, you're still yeah, feeding, except you're still that you know the economy I, and giving other people jobs. And oh, like yeah, well, no, I I get all that stuff, but you know, I I. I never did much takeout anyway. Pizza is about the only thing we ever did takeout on. And for the last couple of years, we've been making our own pizza anyway. Well, we used to, you know, we, in, in our house, we like sushi and Thai and that kind mm, of stuff. sushi. And outside of a period of about five years where we were rolling our own sushi or whatever, it's really a pain. You know, that stuff, you know, that stuff is raw fish, right? Well, we haven't been having sushi lately, so everything we've been having. So we've called like this the this, the Japanese slash Thai restaurant, and we did a nice little Thai dinner over the weekend. Right. It's not something you do very often, but since we couldn't go there to sit down and have it, it was the next best thing. Right. What I need. What I need is a robot sushi <laughs> chef here in the house, and I don't have one of those. It's. it's... Well, at least there's lots of stuff on YouTube and and the TV if you want to watch uh, either cooking shows or food porn where you get to watch other people uh, make stuff that you'll never be able to make. I, 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 you know, I used to actually watch, I used to watch, uh, when we first moved to Ontario, I didn't actually understand any English. Okay, so I'm a new guy, I'm nine years old, and there's the television which only has two channels, and there were a couple of cooking shows on at the time. One of them was the Galloping Gourmet. I don't know if you remember the Galloping oh, Gourmet yes. at all. Graham Kerr. Graham Kerr. And uh, the guy I thought was hilarious. It's like I had no idea what the hell he was doing, but it was hilarious to watch. And I think that was my first exposure to cooking shows, like ever. 
But now the cooking genre has sort of morphed, morphed into two different kinds of shows. There was the Julia Child slash Graham Kerr slash, uh, you know, Martha Stewart kind of thing, yep, which yep, is designed yep. for you to be able to hear stuff you can make at home. When Rachel Ray does a recipe, they got the list of ingredients and it's stuff that a normal person could do at home. But there's this entire other genre now of what I would all call food porn, which is what you're watching people make this stuff. There's no way in hell you're ever going to be able to do it yourself. But there's a certain perverse pleasure in watching other people make it. And you remember what the first, the very first, my first experience of food porn, Iron Chef. You know, never, never watched the show. There are like, in fact, I don't watch cooking shows really to speak of. I actually go and watch certain chefs on YouTube to see how they handle certain things or how they cook certain things that I specifically want to cook. But I don't actually watch any of those shows. Like, for instance, I'm a big fan of Jamie Oliver. Okay, it's, it's, it's no-nonsense stuff. He explains it well. And I know this sounds crazy, but I have an insane amount of respect and I love Gordon Ramsay. And, uh, and, and yet I've never seen any of his shows like Hell's Kitchen or whatever that stuff is. But when the, when the guy is at home showing no, Hell's, you, Kitchen, Hell's Kitchen is Gordon's Ram, Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, no, I'm aware of that, but I've never seen that show. But, but if you watch Gordon Ramsay on YouTube, he'll do, like, he'll do like basic cooking instruction in his house, in his own kitchen at home. And the guy is like one of the most down-to-earth people I've ever seen. And he, he, is ex like he isn't swearing. He isn't doing any of that shtick that apparently he does on the other shows he explains things extremely well and you get the feeling that the man truly loves food he loves to do this oh he and does he does which is why he has this entire different genre of shows where he'll go into a restaurant and that same passion for food will mean he has no tolerance for a restaurant that serves crap right Right. which is why he'll swear at them and he'll do whatever. And, that's and again, I've never seen any of those things. I mean, I, I, I know it because it's, it's one of those, it's one of those okay. internet memes, but I've never seen it. Okay. Now I, before closing this off, cause we haven't even touched the stuff we were going to talk about. Oh, uh, are we going to talk about something else? I'm going to, I'm going to mention one last chef that I want you to have a look at. Sure. The frugal gourmet. I remember him. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is a guy who experiments with the chemistry of food. So oh. his idea is to do desserts that are savory and stuff that looks like meat that's dessert. And he experiments with all this kind of thing. So nice. for instance, he did an experiment of doing, what was it? The, the largest, uh, uh, an egg that fit on top of, of, of a box cart, a, a, a train car. And anyway, so no, no, no. This is, you gotta, you gotta look at some. I'm not making that stuff at home. You know that, right? But this is, this is food porn at its okay. most food voyeuristic. Porn. The guy's name is Heston Blumenthal. Heston Blumenthal. You're going to have to write that down and send it. And, and I'll, we'll put the link. We'll put the links in the notes. The All right. guy Heston is a master Blumenthal. and it's just such a weird thing. So he will take a genre of food and he will just turn it on its ear. And, and cause he's into the chemistry of the food. And this is like food porn at its most voyeuristic. And it's just the weirdest stuff you you don't there's you can't really take too much of it, but seeing a little of it is just wonderment to me. Anyway, we'll put it in the notes. And all right, that sounds like a good idea. I actually wrote the name down in case one of us forgets somewhere along the way. There actually, just before we leave this topic, very very quickly, I I, I pretty much completely ignore food porn like on Facebook and stuff like that. You know when people take pictures of their food and post it and stuff like that. Except I have a couple of friends who do this. And they do it with a kind of fervor and, and like, they're like totally deeply into this whole thing to the point that the pat it's, it's not just look at the cool meal I had. It's, it's, it's like this stuff was glorious and I'm sharing it with you because I'm still, you know, I'm in the afterglow of having had this meal. Here's a picture of it now. And to me, to me, I, I try and, the only time I take pictures of food is if I'm traveling and I want everyone else to, I want the people at home to see, you know, that I'm, at least I'm eating something healthy. Yes, I eat yeah, I'm in a cool part of the world and I'm eating something you don't get to eat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway. Not, not really. 
it's empty. Oh, you, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You said you said that we were going to talk about other things. What were we going to talk about anyway? Uh, we, we were going to talk about, you know, uh, how, how, how we were doing in isolation. I think we've covered that. Have we covered that? Well, at least the food part. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, we're, we're doing a Zoom thing here, but you, got, you and I do a Zoom thing every once in a while, you know, when we're doing the podcast. But have you done a Zoom thing with other people? Like, have you guys done the, uh, the oh. Zoom cocktail party? Oh, no, well, you don't drink, but I mean... It, no, no. Well, but, but no, no. There, I've, I've been using Zoom a lot. Remember, I've been using Zoom since 2017. No, no, no. I'm not talking for work. I mean, who cares about work? No, no. Oh, uh, so for instance... Uh, we, Lauren and I, we have a circle of friends that yeah. we used to meet up with once a month and we'd rotate between everybody's houses and things like that. We oh, just okay, yeah. did the crap or whatever. And we're about to have our first virtual one uh, next weekend that essentially is going to use Zoom. And uh, I know that uh, Lauren's been involved in religious services delivered on Zoom. And so, and uh, my granddaughter is doing her classes using not Zoom, but they're using Google Meet. Google or Google Classroom, yes. Right. And, uh, well, Google Meet's a different story. Uh, no, no, I know, I know it's a different story. My, actually, um, well, you and I did a, a chat with somebody just, re- excuse me, just recently on Google Meet, and I didn't find it as polished as this. Despite all of the, despite all of the crap that's surrounding and orbiting Zoom at the moment, I didn't find it as nice as this. Well, Google has now started to put resources into it. For the longest time, they had a product called Hangouts. I well, yes, it's sort of been languishing, and it's still considered. So that was their consumer thing, whereas yeah. whereas Google Meet or whatever was their business thing. They've now announced the strategy to start phasing out Hangouts and making Google Meet free for everybody and polishing that up. Right. Well, I think they, I, you know, I, I think it's time to polish it up. By the way, did I ever, did I apologize to Jitsi on here yet? No. See, about like the three, three podcasts ago, you were, we were talking about, you know, uh, different open source type things that we should be, could be using. And you were beating me up because I was putting stuff on YouTube as opposed to on Vimeo. And then we got talking about Jitsi and I had said, well, you know, I tried Jitsi like, you know, X number of years ago and I was not impressed. Well, as it turns out, Jitsi Meet, okay, and, and people can go to jitsi.org and we'll put that in the show notes as well. And then, of course, if they want to fire up Jitsi Meet, there's a plugin for your browser, but you don't actually need the plugin because as it turns out, modern browsers have, have an open source protocol or an open protocol built in called WebRTC. And WebRTC allows for the transmission of video and audio traffic over, over a browser connection. And we have done this with a handful of friends so far, uh, meet.jit.c, so meet.jit.si is, uh, is the one that you connect to to launch a session. And you can create a password-protected uh, room that, that will survive. As in, you can open up a room like a week before and jump into it at any time. So you can have a room that's always there and always available for your friends. It's completely free. And you know what? It's good. Like it's good. So to the people out there at Jitsi, if you happen to be listening and and, and I beat up on you a few weeks ago because you know I had an experience five years ago and I wasn't impressed. <laughs> well, I'm impressed now. I am. I actually am. Despite the fact that we're using Zoom at the moment, I don't know if Jitsi lets me record. I mean, I could open up OBS Studio and do the recording, but Zoom makes this part just way too freaking easy. Well, um, yeah, I mean, Zoom is fine. Uh, I'm aware of its warts, uh, some of which have been addressed. Not everyone have been addressed. But then again, Zoom has taken off beyond Skype and beyond all the others so much. I'm not surprised that it's attracted all of this, uh, all of this attention, all of the scrutiny. And you know, WebEx doesn't get in the news, and no. and Skype doesn't, and Go to Meeting doesn't. But Zoom has sur- surpassed so many of them, probably because they've had a free level, whereas most of those others don't. Well, okay, but Skype has had like a free level, but Skype has been hit and miss in terms of quality for a number of years, at least for me. Anyway. Well, okay, let, let, me, let me back up just a little tiny bit here for Linux users. Okay, and of course, I am a Linux user. So, you know, I compare everything from the perspective of how easy is it for me to work this thing on my Linux desktop. Zoom works perfectly on my Linux desktop. Skype has always been like, sometimes it works, sometimes it Even Hangouts, even freaking Hangouts, which is built on Linux. Skype was fine till Microsoft bought them. Yeah, I don't know that it was fine even before then. You know, but even because- at that point, 
at that point, there started to be a really, really widening gap between the Linux releases and the Windows and Mac ones. Well, at the moment, at the moment, this is kind of like the gold standard, although for all my friends that we've gotten, you know, for all the friends when we've done these get togethers, which we've done about, I don't know, four or five so far, they've all been done in Jitsi and everybody's been kind of blown away by how insanely easy it is. Here's a web link, you click the web link, like boom, there you are. It's like, wow, yeah. you know, it's just too, too simple. So Jitsi, thumbs up guys, you did great. So what do you want to talk about? What do you want to talk about? The .org thingy? That's, that's been a cough. That, that's been a, a, you know, a, a spike in your ear or something for a while now. Yeah, and, and thankfully, I now get to extract that spike. And it's actually ended, at least this chapter has ended on a good note. Uh, I can. Do tell, do tell. I can, the organization that oversees uh, domain names but refuses to consider itself a regulator, basically rejected the sale of .org from the Internet Society to a private equity company. Well, the Girl Scouts are going to be really happy about this. Uh, they've already expressed their delight. <laughs> you know, cookies for everybody. Uh, oh, oh the, the chocolate ones, the chocolate-coated ones. Those are the best, man. The mint chocolate cookies. I love those cookies. things. Apparently, they're the fall cookies, though. You don't get them in the springtime. Anyway, sorry, continue. Dot org. Well, no, this is you, you basically had the Internet Society uh, taking on the Red Cross and MS and MSF and uh, the Girl Scouts and everyone uh, by trying to take what was a nonprofit resource and turn it into a for-profit commodity like every other bloody domain out there. And so it was a long fight and it looked like it was actually going to go through till a last minute intervention by the California Attorney General. Nice. He literally said, I can, you're a nonprofit, you're obligated to serve the public interest, do your job. And the board had a choice. If we, if we allow the sale to go through, or put it this way, if we deny the sale, we may get sued by the buyers that got jilted. If we don't and we let it go through, then the state of California has the authority to d dissolve us as a corporation. Which was the bigger threat. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. I like that. Which was the bigger threat. I like it. I do. That's excellent. A anyway, it's opened up a bit of a hornet's nest. Uh, it's exposed the fact that that I can the entire internet this this component of internet governance has almost no regard for public interest, which is why the California AG had to step in. Uh, this conversation is not over, but the chapter in saying .org remains a nonprofit, remains a public interest body, is not going to a venture capital uh, firm. That is now real. All right, so the good guys win one today. Yes. And those victories don't come often enough. And so I'll take them and I'll they win. They don't. They don't. You know, I, I'm firmly of the opinion that the internet in general should now be considered a human right. Access to, to the internet, access to broadband services, communications from one part of the world to the other should be a basic human right. So I would not only encourage uh, I can to do its job and serve the public good, but I would go so far as to say that in, they should be entirely in the service of the public good if they're going to oversee this stuff. Well, it's, it's like I say, uh, just to put a cap on it right now, uh, this chapter in the .org sale not going through is good news, uh, but I think there's a broader discussion that needs to happen, and I think the whole thing has exposed some real flaws in the way ICANN does its decision-making, and it's exposed some real, real fissures within the Internet Society that has some real healing to do, because there was yeah. a really big disjoint between what management wanted to do and what all its chapters and members wanted to do. And so there's a lot of healing that needs to go on there, and I think a little bit of soul-searching that has to happen in ICANN. So, um, you know, watch this space, watch the space Absolutely. around, because... Uh, it's, uh, it's going to go through some, uh, interesting changes or at least soul searching. All right. So what, what other hornet's nest do you want to wander into now? Uh, your, your call now. Cause that was, <laughs> you get to pick. So, <laughs> let's, let's try the one that I totally failed on when we tried to address this a little bit earlier, which is the whole concept of universal basic income. 
No, no, you didn't fail it. Okay. Yeah, we, 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 tried, we tried something and we had some technical problems that were just driving me up the freaking wall. We tried to do this in VR in uh, Mozilla Hubs and we had some weird echo happening in there and it was driving me up the freaking wall because you every time you talked, I could hear you talking again a few seconds behind and it was like, ah, and for some strange reason, I kept hoping that that wouldn't translate into the actual audio. So that part we've actually sort of attempted to cover before. Okay, universal basic income. Here's the thing. The concept, of course, is not new. It's been around for a long time. And the idea is, you know, uh, the idea is that people's income shouldn't start at zero. Okay, you don't need to start income at zero. Everybody should have enough money to basically have a roof over their heads, clothes on their back, and food on the table. You know, not necessarily vast amounts of food. I mean, numbers that have been floated around is like $1,000 for every human being that exists you know, on a monthly basis and perhaps a cap for families or something like this, whatever. I mean, there, there, there are a bunch of things floated about, but the idea is that it's universal and everybody gets it. The people that hate the idea argue that it's that it sets up people for sloth and, and basically being layabouts and drains on society. And the ones who support it are basically saying that, no, everybody has the right to at least some basic level of uh of human comfort and like i said you know things like food and water and and uh and in canada for instance universal health care you know things like this what's interesting is the whole pandemic has brought this like this has been one of the things that i've been passionate about for a number of years but the pandemic has brought it to the surface because all of a sudden You've got a whole bunch of businesses closing down. You've got a bunch of people who don't have jobs anymore. People don't have money. And governments who were arguing about things like, oh, I don't know if we can come up with $50 million, you know, for this, uh, for this, uh, you know, reclamation project over here, or $100 million for the arts or something like that, are now shoveling out hundreds of billions and in some cases trillions of dollars in the U.S., just shoveling it out. It's like, they don't have a few measly million to make things better for people, but all of a sudden they've got all this cash. So now, of course, the question that's coming out is, uh, especially in the case of, Can like in Canada, for instance, we've had the CERB thing, which is a, um, um, a, a temporary coverage for people. People can get up to $2,000 a month to cover them while they have no jobs or no prospects in the time of the pandemic. And uh, people are starting to ask the question whether it's time to look at universal basic income, not just here, but all over the world. What are your feelings on this? Well, arguably, uh, doing things that way would even be simpler and might actually cost a society less than the current hodgepodge of Medicare and Social Security and welfare and food stamps and program here and program there and program yes. everywhere and eligibility criteria and means tests and blah, 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 blah. And basically just saying we can streamline this all because we have one criteria that everyone is, is entitled to at least a basic level of humanity. Yes. Yes. And so uh, the problem is you and I aren't going to have much of a disagreement on this. When we last tried to talk about it, you know, <laughs> I did, a, I did a little bit of devil's advocate and you lost your sense of humor. So I'm not going to do that. I didn't lose my sense of humor. I was fighting this damn technical problem that was driving me crazy but um no i well, also an attitude that needs to be fought which is that sort of and randish you have the freedom to be yes. poor mentality that exists in the states and in a few other places in saying you know you're not supposed to be able to survive if you won't get off your behind even if there are no jobs you know uh, I, I i like to point out to people that ayn rand spent the last few years of her life uh, on government assistance, the very programs that she despised and and uh, you know and and vilified her entire life, she was entirely dependent on in the last few years of her life. Anyway, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not. You know, obviously, obviously, I'm not. You know, we're Canadians, so <laughs> generally well, speaking. I, I, well, I'm no fan, and not only that, but I'm also going to suggest we put something up in the in the notes. Uh, you know, John Oliver has that weekly show last week tonight. Yes, yes. Was and there one last most week? Of, most of it is long <laughs> journalism. Sorry. Every now and then he has these segments. Why is this still a thing? Yes. One of those why is this still a thing segments was on Ayn Rand. Mm -hmm. And that to me is just precious. And basically going into, you know, the wonderful cultural of selfishness as a virtue kind of thing. Yep, and yep, yep. crashes the crap out of it. 
as you know, as a lot of people know, I'm 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 not a religious man. In fact, I'm I'm about as far from being a religious man as you can get. Although I have had many religious experiences, if you know what I'm talking about. But uh, I'm not going there. <laughs> this is a family-friendly show, damn it! No, um, <laughs> but but there are a number of things that are culturally important, regardless of whether I believe in them or not. Okay, and it's for that reason that I've actually studied religion and I've read the Bible. I mean, I've read the Bible cover to cover, which a lot of religious people can't say. And one of the fascinating things about Ayn Rand, of course, is that she is such a cultural force, in, in particular in the United States. Of course, I've studied her as well, and I've listened, to, I've listened to documentaries on her life and so forth, just because it's kind of fascinating how this stuff has not only caught on, but stuck. And I'm going to give a nod to the CBC program Ideas. You must have listened to Ideas more than once on CBC, yes? Yeah, they tend to be long and very fraught, but you know. Well, but I like it. It's it's one of, it's one of those shows that I obviously I don't like every single episode, as I don't like every single episode of almost anything I can think of, with the exception of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which we've been watching. Every single episode has been an absolute gem so far, and we've just finished two seasons. But I digress. I digress. Ideas had a two-part series. <laughs> Because we never digress here. <laughs> Ideas had a two-part series called Why Ayn Rand Still Matters. And, um, and it was fascinating. I have to admit, it was fascinating. Um, I, I still think she was a horrible person. I think she, she, uh, gave, um, she gave a lot of people an excuse for being as selfish as you can possibly imagine, including some people who consider themselves religious people, which is interesting given the fact that, you know, religious conservatives love Ayn Rand, despite the fact that she had nothing but, but scorn and hatred for religion. So I, I always found that part fascinating. But anyway, Ideas, the two-part program on Ayn Rand, why Ayn Rand still matters, is actually fascinating stuff for the people that, you know, aren't into that shit, but would like to know something about, you know, why so the what, is still a thorn in our sides. Let's, let's do both. Let's do that overwrought two episode ideas on Ayn Rand. And we'll also put up that three minute John Oliver, why is Ayn Rand still? It is always worthwhile putting up a John Oliver clip. I just want to say that right now. <laughs> Uh, by the way, have you seen his stuff lately? So while everybody... Yeah, yeah with, the, with the white screen in the back and so forth. Well, while everybody else, you know, you have all the other late night shows that are doing, you know, I'm doing this in my basement or my backyard or whatever. And, and it, it's an interesting thing of just doing it in a, in a pure white room where you That's don't... That's right. Know. Bill Maher, Bill Maher has, has, has a bar in his backyard. Did you know that? I think we did. I think we talked about we that. We did talk about that. We did talk about that. It doesn't matter. We're talking about it again. We can... You know what? We're losing our minds and our memories. It's okay. We're uh, there's one thing. So you have your word about the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. Have you said your piece already or just? Oh, anyway. No, I, okay. Let me just finish up by saying that I think it's vitally important that we look at something like UBI. I think it has to happen. And I think the whole COVID-19 thing has sort of brought it to the forefront and has pushed it ahead a lot further than it would have otherwise. But the fact is, we're heading into a world of, of increasing automation and increasingly, uh, you know, we, we're, we're moving into a space where we have a useless class, as uh, Yuval Harari likes to call them, um, you know, who don't have anything to do. And, and of course, we have a lot of people who do a lot of work for which they're not, you know, they're not being recompensed or they're not being appreciated financially. And I think we have to have a way to basically say, look, everybody has the right to live. Everybody has the right to to health and food and, and lodging. And you know what, if you make more than, you know, if you make more than the basics, then we tax you. And, uh, you know, and that's how we keep the system going. And well, the other thing that's been fascinating is how now we've been segmenting the workforce into essential and not essential. Yes, isn't that fascinating? So in some societies, liquor stores are essential and in some places they're not. Okay, all right. Gun stores are essential in some places or not. Okay, I, I have to say something about the liquor store. A few weeks ago, okay, we were running low on wine. 
not 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 that not that I drink, of course, but we were running long wine. And so I went to the liquor store just as everything was starting to close down. You know, the liquor store was still considered essential. Uh, I, I forget what the rules are for that now, but uh, but there were all sorts of little problems. And uh, I decided that what I would do is I would uh, go to the liquor store and it was just too busy. There was this incredibly long lineup of people trying to stay six feet apart from each other or two meters. The lights, the lights coming into the, uh, in, into the starship here. I don't know how that's happening. Must be some nebula outside or something. Anyway, but there were just too many damn people. So I came home and I told Sally, hey, look, you know, there's just uh, like, I, I don't want to stand out there for two and a half hours to get a couple of bottles of wine. This is nuts. So we started talking about wineries that we visited in the Niagara region. And, uh, and we talked about which ones we'd had the best experience with. Okay. Not just really good wines, but where we felt we were exceptionally well treated, where the people were really good. And we settled on a place called Rife Estates Winery, um, yeah. which, which, you know, I'll, I'll mention here. And so we called them up and we put in an order and it's been brilliant. You know, they delivered a case of the stuff that we'd picked out and we did it as we've done it three times now since the pandemic started or since you know the lockdown started and um and like for one thing they've been absolutely stunningly wonderful and appreciative like thank you so much for the business we really appreciate it these are hard times blah 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 you know so so they they have no problem saying that up front but they delivered i mean they've delivered cases of wine right to the door they're exceptional wines like they're great wines and it's i guess what's interesting to me about that is before that I wasn't going out of my way to support, you know, local and, you know, local in this case within uh, you know, an hour and a half drive, but local wineries like Ontario wineries, I wasn't doing, I wasn't working hard to do that at all. And since the pandemic has started and I'm not going into the liquor store, suddenly I'm supporting <laughs> Niagara wines. Hey, as, as, as we've already covered earlier, I'm not a drinker. And yet I love the wine tours of Niagara. Yes, I, yes. I would tag along. And there's a highway that goes between the Queen Elizabeth Way, which is the highway between uh, Toronto and Niagara Falls. Yep. And uh, there's a highway that branches off and it goes into the middle of Niagara wine country into this little town called Niagara-on-the-Lake. And I think it's Highway 55 or something like that. And there's all these little wineries yes, and stuff yes. that are either on that road or a little bit off that road. And the difference in culture is just staggering. So I think the biggest one on there is a, is a winery called Hillebrand. And they've got this whole log cabin thing going yeah, on. Yeah, but that's, that one is like so corporate now. It's like it's, it's lost its well, soul. No, well, yes, it's the most corporate log cabin you ever did see. And <laughs> yes, it's yes. Oh, by the way, and, and this isn't to say that it isn't gorgeous. I mean, I've been oh, in there. It's like, oh, it's, like, it's, gorge, it's gorgeous. It is. It like, is. Heller Estates. Heller Estates is gorgeous. You know, And but, these places have like top class restaurants. But I mean, yeah. what I'm trying to get at is sort of the difference in culture. So you've got Hillebrand. It's got the whole log cabin, rustic, let's take you on horse and cart tours and things like that. And then just a little bit down the road is this other one called Jackson Triggs, which is this monumental chrome and glass and steel and stainless steel. And everything is stainless steel and glass. And it's like just the most modern. And, you know, it's like you've got, you, you, it's like you've got Bauhaus in the middle of farm country kind of thing. And it's yep. just, now, to me, like I say, when I go in, how do I choose my wine? I choose the box with the nicest label on it. But so I just tag along with everyone else as they're doing their stuff. Right. And, and, it, and, and but the experience is really great. And and it's who has the best story, as you say, because you go into these places and especially in the little ones and they'll tell you all about, you know, and though well, this year this grape was good and this year this grape and they'll yep. give me the whole story about how they existed. My favorite story is how one of the guys very frankly said that climate change is going to be good for Canada's wine country because every degree that it goes up, they're going to be able to grow grapes that they were only available to be done in California or France yep. or whatever, yep. all yep. of a sudden going to be viable in Canada. So these guys are saying, frankly, climate change is going to be it's going to suck for everybody else but it's going to be great for wine country in canada and you know our, it's a strange place to look for silver linings and and, and we'll get off this subject but all right so so i've already mentioned oh, i've already mentioned linings, speaking what? of silver linings yes you mentioned the marvelous is maisel i'm going I to did. 
plug for my favorite show of the of the of the lockdown, which is called SGN. It's it's an abbreviation for Some Good News. Okay. And it's a it's a series of videos on YouTube that have been done by I'm going to mangle his name John Kaczynski, and he's the guy that play that that had the lead on The Office. He played Jim on The Office. Okay. And he's sort of like the oh, the penultimate nice guy. And he's done, he's now on his, I think, sixth weekly episode where he just scours the world looking for good news. And people send stuff to him and he does a theme every week and where he gets like really high powered celebrities to do stuff. So for instance, this last week's was on graduation because you have every high school and so on in the US that's now going through their graduation ceremonies. And of course, they're not having graduation ceremonies because everyone's on lockdown. Right. So they've been showing the creative ways that the kids have been doing their home graduation ceremonies and stuff like that. And so they have, so how do they do their speeches? And so, and so what he did was he found a bunch of kids and he said, I want you to, rather than do speeches, I want you to ask questions. And so he was able to match them up. So he had one of these guys that was doing questions one-on-one -on -one, and Steven Spielberg was answering him with, with, ins with inspirational answers. Right. So on this episode, you had Oprah Winfrey, you had Malala Yousef, you had Jon Stewart, and you had Steven Spielberg basically doing commencement speeches all being done on Zoom and in these right. sort of group right. environments. In previous episodes, he's dealt, he's, he's dealt with all sorts of other things, uh, you know, with kids that haven't been able to do Broadway. So they had the entire cast of, uh, of Hamilton in their own little windows doing <laughs> a concert for this kid. It's, yes. It was stunning. It's basically he's succeeded where all the late night hosts is doing this stuff in their attic or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. That, they, that they've just, they, they were shoehorned into the, into the format they had in their studios. And so they're constrained, but have a look. There's only six episodes, okay. only about a half hour long. They are the best thing on the interwebs right now. All right. I will and check it out. Will, they'll make you smile. I will check it out. Guaranteed. I, 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 I don't know if I've mentioned this. I, I may have already mentioned this, but I am kind of fascinated by the idea that all of these expensive talk show hosts, and I say expensive in the sense that extremely well-paid talk show hosts have basically been, if you'll pardon the expression, reduced to the level of YouTuber. Okay, there. it's like you've got people who have been doing YouTube shticks who are doing, you know, like, like we're, you know, you and me on camera here and so forth, you know, recording stuff for the world to see and they they're now doing the same stuff i mean they're basically in exactly the same boat they're on their webcams and they're on their phone cameras recording this stuff exactly. and there's something glorious and wonderful all at the same time about this you know and they're getting their spouses to do their makeup and yes <laughs> yes no it's no it is it's really kind of wonderful in a way it truly truly is and and uh, I, I'm, I'm busy. I've, I've got this thing that I've been writing, which I should finish in the next couple of days. And it's uh, it's all based on the idea that the uh, the pandemic has exposed the man behind the curtain. Of course, that's a reference to the Wizard of Oz. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Anyway, uh, so maybe we'll talk about it next time because I'm hoping I'll have finished writing it in the next couple of days. It's, it's one of Marcel's... Uh, <laughs> Hopefully, somewhat entertaining ideas about just what just what this is uncovering, and of course, the idea that these people are expensive, well-paid YouTubers, and of course, there are some expensive, well-paid YouTubers out there, you know, um, is just is now glaringly obvious. Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot to be said for the fact that there's a ton of money poured into into production facilities and cool sets, and you know, expensive bands playing in the background all this sort of sort of stuff and now it's like you're recording in your basement and 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 so now you have the you have like some of the most popular watch shows in the u.s and they're basically reduced to the same platform as unboxing videos 
Ooh, ouch. Ooh, that hurts. That hurts. Okay, fine. We 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 should wrap it up because we're we're going we're going uh, we're we're creeping up on the hour mark and we've we you know we we keep telling ourselves we'll we're gonna keep these things under an hour. But the last thing, this is this is a reference to Mrs. Maisel as well. Okay. In two days, it's my birthday. Okay, and last night we were watching it, and uh, one of the characters that come. Have you watched uh, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel? I started. In okay, that... all right. You have you have to start and you have to continue. It's fantastic. Anyway, Lenny Bruce is actually one of the characters on the show, as in the famous comedian Lenny Bruce. Mm -hmm. And last night he was doing the shtick, like on the show we're watching it, and he's doing the shtick about stag films. Okay, and after it was over, I walked out of the room and I. <laughs> And I turned to Sally and I said, oh, my God, I just I just I just noticed I'm old enough to remember when porn was called stag films. <laughs> like the reference actually means I'm old enough that the reference means something to me. <laughs> so this is where I'm going to leave it. The idea that I, I as my birthday is two days away, I realized that I'm old enough that I, I remember when porn was called stag films. And, and, and so we'll save your rant on how porn ain't as good as it used to be for <laughs> the production facilities have just gone downhill. You know, when they, when they went from film to videotape, that's when it all went downhill. Yeah. And where did all that hair go? But Oh, 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 yes. That too. <laughs> Boogie nights. Have you ever seen the movie Boogie nights? Yes. That's brilliant. It's freaking brilliant. Just love it. Love it. Love it. Anyway. The only TV ep the only TV show I've ever seen where every single episode was stellar yeah. was The Prisoner. Uh, well, there were only like 12 episodes or something. It's, it's yeah. hard. It's, you go it's, out it's, of it's oh, sorry, stellar. Sorry. Faulty Towers. Faulty Towers. Yes. Yes. Faulty Towers. Faulty. Wonderful as well. Absolutely. I agree. But then you, I agree. you're only doing a limited series. You go out on a high note. That's right. Don't mention the war. I thought I did, but I got away with it. See you later. Bye, Evan. Bye. See you next time. See you next time. Hi, this is Marcel after the show. If you like what Evan and I are doing here, there are many ways that you can help support the podcast. The most important and easiest of them all is just to tell your friends, family, dog, cat, goldfish, enemies. Just tell everybody about the podcast and have them listen as well. You can also review it on Anchor.fm or Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you happen to listen to podcasts. If you have a blog, you can blog about it. If you have your own podcast, hey, that would be cool. If you have your own podcast, you could actually talk about our podcast in your podcast. If you're going to do that, by the way, you should let us know because, hey, we'd like to listen too. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.